welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin after five and a half long months of wondering were we going to get to see any more professional tennis in 2020 we have our answer a resounding yes the american hardcourt summer swing officially in the book so much great tennis for us to discuss we had a couple of first-time champions emerged on the wta tour we obviously had a fantastic western and southern open and of course, the U.S. Open, the culmination of it all. Naomi Osaka capturing her third Grand Slam title in a dramatic three-set win over Victoria Azarenka. And then, of course, Dominic Team becoming the first first-time Grand Slam winner on the ATP Tour since 2014. So much great action to discuss. So many takeaways. So many things for us to analyze here at Cracked Rackets. And, of course, that's what we're going to be doing on today's podcast. Joining me to help me weave through all of the information we have gathered these past six weeks. You, of course, know him as your favorite Cracked Rackets writer, a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, a man I affectionately refer to as Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. Two weeks later, I feel like there's always that hungover Monday feeling after a Grand Slam. I know I'm feeling it. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Gruskin. I mean, it's always tough because it's a bit of a letdown at the end of a slam because we realize like, oh man, like we we can't really watch any more Grand Slam tennis today. It's always kind of sad. The good news is Roland Garros is right around the corner. Normally we wouldn't have that option at this time of the year. So I'm excited for that. Um, That's alleviating the hangover just a little bit for me, but it was a great two weeks, man. I had a ton of fun, lots of great tennis and um, yeah, lots to break down here for sure. Yeah, counterpoint to you there, an early counterpoint. I like where we're heading in this podcast. But, you know, there's the old adage when you're hungover, just drink through it, right? If you're still drunk, you're not going to feel hungover because you're drunk again. Well, (laughs) I don't know if that applies with tennis because I don't know if I'm ready for clay court results. I saw Rome was on this morning. I turned it on my screen and I was like, oh my God, clay court tennis? Like, Hubie Hercots knocked off Dan Evans in three sets and I was watching it today and I'm like, oh my, I'm not ready for this. Like, I, I need a second. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a bit of a quick turnaround. I mean, to go from a slam final yesterday to, to Rome, a big-time event, <laughs> turning around the next morning. I, I'm with you there, but uh, for me, I'm especially with everything that's gone on this year, um, any good competitive tennis we can get, I'm, I'm all in for. So bring it on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, uh, if we're feeling this hangover, if we're not ready to adjust to Rome, imagine how these players are feeling. They spend three weeks in New York quarantined in this bubble. They then fly off to Rome. They try and get as much training in on clay courts as they can before. Again, the French Open starts two or, yeah, the two Sundays from now. And so uh, we expect some funky results this week. Of course, Rome, what goes on there, shifting towards uh, the clay portion of the season. That's something we're going to be doing on our mini break podcast, so be sure to listen to to that all week long. And we'll get into French Open preview content. I was going to say in a little bit. It really is. We'll get into it next week. That'll be our focus. So be on the lookout for that, of course. We're also going to be giving our picks still here on the Great Shot Podcast every morning for our GSP Ace of the Day. Now, we had a day off today. That was for me to lick my wounds. I'm not going to lie. Privately, and I might have texted you this to Koyak, but I was talking to our friend, Maxwell LeBauer-Rothman, and I'm like, Maxie, I just have this suspicious feeling, and you're going to call me crazy. Justify so, but Zverev right now 
plus I think it was 800 so eight to one odds to beat team yesterday three sets to two exactly and I was like dude I'm telling you I have a good feeling about Zverev I'm taking him in five sets let's do this and he was like you know what Alex you've convinced me and we were two points away uh, Maddie from hitting an eight to one bet nevertheless we did not but our spirits are still high plenty of tennis to pick expect some funky results and we can take advantage of those funky results with our friends at DraftKings if you're not already playing along with us. Here's how it works. You're going to go to DraftKings Sportsbook account and make your deposit. DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. From there, you're going to make your first bet. DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash cracked open to play. That's dkng.co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling, and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years and older and in a participating state to take advantage of DraftKings offer. Deposit bonus is in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. And again, be on the lookout every morning here on the Great Shot Podcast feed for our GSP Aces of the Day, which, as I mentioned, will be resuming tomorrow. But with that in mind, before we turn our heads to the clay court portion of this year, before we try and figure out what we're going to see transpire at the year's third major, we want to recap what we just saw on the hard courts this past summer. So Maddie and I are going to talk through a couple of questions today. We're going to be covering both the men and the women. If you think this podcast is going under an hour, you've got something else coming for you, but we're going to try and hit it all. We're going to go through things such as, you know, what did we see at the U.S. Open? Who was most impressive? Who was most disappointed? What were our favorite matches? Who are some of the players, of course, who stood out not just at the U.S. Open, but in general during this 2020 restart? We're going to name our favorite matches. We're going to talk about what it was like with no fans. And then, of course, we are going to turn our heads to the biggest storylines heading into this clay court portion of the year. But the question I want to start with, Manny, and it's really a twofold question because, of course, you look at this 2020 U.S. Open, it's forever going to be known as a special event. The context behind it in the midst of a global pandemic, the players who are living in this three-week bubble in New York, you know there's going to be at least four books written on the topic. We're going to hear all of these different stories, the PTPA forming in the midst of this. It, it's obviously a significant moment in tennis history, and we'll get to whether there will be an asterisk next to a winner or not later on. But let's just start with this basic principle for the U.S. Open men's and women's side, Maddie. Did the best players win? Novak, uh, excuse me, there it is. Uh, that might have been a Freudian slip there. But Naomi Osaka, Dominic Team, your two U.S. Open champions. Does that result make sense, Maddie? Did the best player over the course of the two weeks win? Well, on the women's side, I I definitely think so. Um, I mean, we talked about Osaka being the favorite. You know, the odds, um, even prior to the Open starting, were were definitely in her favor. So I think on the women's side, the the best player definitely won. And there were obviously other players that were playing great tennis. uh, But I think when Osaka is at her top level, um, she is, you know, arguably the greatest player in the world right now on the women's side. So for me, I definitely think that was the case on the women's. On the men's, obviously, right, with Novak. So that... 
Yeah, so so I do want to talk about the men's. Sorry to cut you off because I know yeah. we want to get to the men's. But I, I agree. Let's start with the women's because you talk about, you look at this, six of the top ten women not playing this event. No Ashley Barty, no Halep, no Svitolina, no Andrescu, no Burtons, no Benchich. Yeah. That's something that, of course, you will always remember when you look back at this draw. Like with any tournament, you're going to have context behind the tournament. To your point, I agree with you. The best player in New York was Naomi Osaka. She didn't lose during right. the course of the three weeks. And yeah, you know, she had to pull out against Vika due to injury, but you look at the wins Osaka accumulated during her time in New York. I mean, obviously her win over Vika in the final, so impressive. Her win over Jen Brady, she beats Annette Conteve twice. She beats, you know, Shelby Rogers, who was playing so well. She beat Elise Mertens, and she beat Mukova. She beat Yastremska. She beat the best players who were in New York. She did it routinely. And so my question to you is, and this is a little bit hypothetical, but, you know, any of those six players, Barty, Halep, uh, Svitolina, Andrescu, Burtons, Benchich, if they're in the draw right now, would you have picked them over Naomi Osaka? I wouldn't have. I think Ashley Barty's incredible. But I just think on a hard court, Naomi Osaka right now is the best woman in the world. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's tough to say one way or the other. I mean, obviously, I'm a big Andrescu fan if she's healthy and, and mm-hmm. she hasn't been. So, I mean, that's not really the case. But, I mean, a healthy Andrescu, I... I I don't know. I mean, Osaka could easily still be the pick. I like um, Ash Barty as well. But on a hard court, I mean, it's definitely, it's it's the surface for Osaka. I mean, she's won all of her majors on the hard court. So, yeah, I, I think that's totally fair to say that even with those other players in the draw, the Halops and the Svitolinas, um, that Osaka still should have been the favorite and would have still won the tournament anyway. Yeah. My favorite fact right now about Naomi Osaka, she has six career WTA titles. Three of them are majors. Like, that is so crazy. Do you know how good you have to be at a young age to have that be your ratio to show up at the biggest events to be able to perform this consistently by age 22? And let's play a game of Speculation Jones here, Maddie, because, again, I I think we all agree uh, she earned this Grand Slam title. And when we talk about will there be an asterisk on this women's side, I think the answer is going to be a prohibitive no. And it's because it's not Osaka's first title. It's her third title. We've seen her do this on a hard court before. And so there's this, this element of legitimacy, particularly given... And even if all of those, even with all of those players not in the event, it still felt like a wide open women's singles draw at the U.S. Open. But let's have some fun here. Naomi Osaka, 22. She turns 23 in October. So let's say she has 10 more years of really good tennis. That's 40 slams, 20 hardcourt slams. Let's say she misses three of those hardcourt slams due to injury or whatever. So 17 hardcourt slams over the next 10 years. To get to eight slams, which is just a ridiculous number, Serena and all the big, you know the big three on the men's side have blown away the standards. But if you get to eight, you're one of the ten best players of all time. Period. That means she has to win five more hardcourt slams on, over the next ten years. Do you think she can do that? Like, what is if I say the over under is seven and a half slams? Because again, to win over eight slams, I don't think people realize how how freaking tough that is. Like, again, Djokovic, all these guys have made it look so simple, but players don't do that. Like, there are just so few players in tennis history who have done that. Over under seven and a half for Osaka, what do you take? <sighs> yeah, I mean, there's so She's much... already a Hall of Famer. Right, easily, and, and that's the thing. I mean, she definitely has the, all the chance, barring health, of course. If she stays healthy, 
I mean, I, I, I kind of, I want to take the over. I mean, I think she can get to eight slams. I, like that. I, I really do. She's still so young physically. Her game is just, she moves well. And remember, Gruskin, she was even a little bit injured in this tournament. Her hamstring was not a hundred percent, and she still played great. Um, and she got better as the tournament went on. I think she could do it mentally. I, I think she's just going to get better. She doesn't seem to care, you know, what stage she's on or anything like that. Physically, her game is as good as anybody in the world. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be tough, but there's no reason why if she if she stays healthy, I could see her winning five more slams. There's no question about it. She's only 22. I mean, there there is a lot of time left. There's a lot of time left. The only thing is there's so much parity on the women's side that there are so many mm -hmm. different players that could emerge mm -hmm. and actually win. Young players. Talk about Andrescu. Amanda Anisimova. Kennan has just won her first slam this year, and she's going to be around for a while. I mean, are, is Coco Goff going to continue to emerge? Ashley I mean, Barty's 24. Barty isn't going anywhere. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's yeah. so many women that have the potential to win these slams, and that's why it's going to be tough. But Osaka's right there at the top of the list. She's not, you know, below any of those other players. She's right there with everyone that we're talking about. So I don't see any reason why in the next 10 years, if she's 22 now, by the time she's 32 years old, she doesn't win five more slams in the next 10 years. I, I, I think that's very possible. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm very much a... I agree with you, and I apologize. I have this casual familiarity with the Grand Slam list of champions just because I've looked at it so many freaking times. But you look at it on the women's side, seven women have eight Grand Slam titles or more in the open era. Those seven, oh, just, I don't know, Billie Jean King, Monica Seles, Margaret Court, Martina Navratilova, Chris Everett, Steffi Groff, and Serena Williams. Uh, that's ridiculous. On the men's side, there are eight who have done it. You know, it's Agassi, Lendl, Connors, Borg, Sampras, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. So to put your in that conversation, yeah. those are the absolute best, best players, players of all time. in tennis history. Yes. So again, seven and a half, that's you're a top ten player for your respective gender. You just like if you get over that, you just are. And I could not agree with you more. Why I would be hesitant to say yes is just simply because of how many outstandingly talented young women there are on tour. Right. And it's just like to win five of the next, what, 20 hardcore Grand Slams? Because I don't know. Maybe there's a Wimbledon title in her. I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be a French Open title in her simply because so many of these young players are just really good on the clay uh, compared to her. But I was so impressed by her. I think we both agree no asterisk on the women's side. But let's flip gears now to the men's side. Dominic Team emerging with his first Grand Slam title. It's a stat you're probably very familiar with now, but one of five players to come back from two sets to love down in the open era now to win a Grand Slam title. The previous four happened at the French Open, the last one to do it, Gaston Gaudio, in 2004. Uh, of course, he's the first player to do it at the U.S. Open since 1990, uh, 1949. And of course, we all remember when Pancho Gonzalez did it, Maddie. We haven't stopped talking about that still. You can't go to a dinner party without being like, you guys remember Poncho in 49? And everyone goes, Poncho, <laughs> Poncho. Um, but anyways, Dominic Team did it in dramatic fashion. And prior to the final, he had only lost one set. And I think what's a legitimizing element, legitimizing, I don't know if that's a word, I apologize, hey, great shot. But what 
offers an element of legitimacy to this title. He was the number two seed. He made the final of the Australian Open. He beat Rafa in the quarterfinals of that Australian Open. He had made two previous finals at the Grand Slam level. Yet, you know, the big thing, of course, he didn't have to go through Novak Djokovic. And uh, for some people, that's always going to be a sticking point. For you, Maddie, will there be an asterisk next to this men's championship? Well, I, I think going into it, we knew there was going to be somewhat of an asterisk. And, I, and that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, right? Everyone always like associates an asterisk with, oh, that's a negative term. Don't use asterisk or whatever. Well, guess what? I mean, this is the year of COVID-19. And we knew this tournament was going to be different than any other slam that we've seen in our lifetimes, at least, Gruskin. So the asterisk isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. I mean, we're never going to forget this tournament. Yes, there was no Rafa. There was no Roger. Um, obviously, what happened with Novak getting defaulted out of the tournament. For me, it doesn't... What's the opposite of legitimize? Whatever you just said, the opposite of that, it doesn't take away... Hey, great shot to me. It doesn't take away from Dominic team winning the tournament. Look, you can only play who's in front of you. That's not Dominic team's fault whatsoever. He played seven matches. He played seven three out of five set matches. He won them all. He won the U.S. Open. We can't take that away from him. There's nothing that you can say. He earned it. He absolutely earned every bit of his trophy. So, so no, for me, I'm not going to look and go, oh, wow, team, you know, won that tournament, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there may be an asterisk because guess what? I mean, there were some players that opted out. There were some players that were injured. There were no fans at the tournament. But again, that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It was just a different tournament. So the asterisk may be, this was a very odd U.S. Open. But does that mean that Dominic Team didn't deserve it and that he didn't earn it? No, not by any means. He absolutely deserved it. I think... He was the best player in this tournament after Novak got defaulted out. Obviously, Novak should have and probably would have won the tournament um, had he stayed in. I fully expected him to do so. But once he exited, Dominic Team played the best. I mean, if you look at his results, he was awesome against Chilich. That was the set that he lost prior to the final, but he still looked really good. He took out Felix badly, badly in that fourth round match. He destroyed Alex Dimonor. He played really well against Medvedev, who I had winning the tournament. Personally, after Novak lost, uh, I picked Medvedev to go all the way. And, and team, you know, was able to win that match in straight sets. And then obviously the final was the final. That was a little bizarre. The whole thing was just um, an interesting match. But no, for me, Dominic team earned every bit of this. He paid his dues. He's made several finals of slams in the past. So this wasn't his first rodeo. He absolutely earned this. He put in the work in the offseason. It's a, a great result for him. Very happy for him. He deserves it. Yeah. Let me just say, um, hopefully our listeners don't know this, a lot of time I fake laughter at uh, what people say. That was 100% real, Maddie. You just... You got me. That was good. That was good. Uh, anyways, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and this is why I always enjoy having you on the show is because I think you nailed it. I think there's always context to every event. Like, right. you know, Novak Djokovic won the Australian Open, sets two and three. He lost to Dominic Team. He played, like, absolute garbage. Like, it was horrible tennis. There's horrible tennis in every Grand Slam final. That's just the nature of the beast. And, of course, we celebrate the Djokovic-Rafa 2012 Australian 
Australian Open final. We celebrate Rafa versus Federer at Wimbledon. All of these different pockets of you know excellence because they're exactly that. They're the exceptional moments. They're the greatest moments in tennis history. And of course, on the men's side, we've been exceptionally spoiled these past few years. But the equivalent I have, and you know, this is really when I first started tennis, so it's not an exact comparison for me. But you know, 08, 09, 2010. There's a lot of Rafa and Federer winning, but you could see these different guys, Djokovic, Murray, Del Potro, Monfils, Gasquet, Songa, this generation, Burdich, that we ended up seeing emerge. They were figuring things out. They were trying to see exactly what sort of players they needed to become to be the best versions of themselves, what they needed to do to put themselves to have position at, for success at the end of these you know, second weeks of slams or at the end of these Masters 1000s events. And that's where we're at right now on the men's side. And to your point, you nailed it. Who was the best player in the men's draw? Novak Djokovic. Right. No one's denying that. Right. But fluky things happen in every major. And so to your point, and we'll get to the Zverev final in a bit, but yeah, Dominic Team was the one who got over the finish line, justifiably so. It took a Herculean effort in the final. He really could have lost sets two and three against Daniil Medvedev as well. He didn't. Yeah. Uh, he lost one and two first round of Western Southern, bounces back to win this major. Here's what I said to Jamie. I want to bounce this by you as well. And I think it, it will happen. I think it's a when, not if sort of thing. The second Dominic team wins his second major, there will be no conversation about is there an asterisk next to the 2020 U.S. Open. The problem is because a first-time champion emerged under these circumstances, because it's their first title, they don't have the legitimacy lended to a Naomi Osaka because she's done it before. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And I think that's what the community is, in their minds, that's... That's what they're picturing, mm-hmm. and, and that makes total sense. It's just, team has really improved his game on hard courts. I mean, look, this is a guy that's won Indian Wells. He's almost, he's nearly won the year-end um, you know, ATP finals in, in London at the end of the year. I mean, this guy can play on hard courts, and I'll admit, I'll be Australian the first. Australian Open finalist. Australian Open finalist. I mean, this guy has not just shown up out of nowhere. I mean, that's the thing. He was the number two seed in the tournament, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I will be the first one to admit, Gruskin, if you would have told me, you know, a year ago, hey, Dominic Team's going to win his first major on a hard court, I would have called you crazy. And I would have bet a lot, you know, on the fact that, no, he's going to win his first uh, major on clay, Gruskin, and he's going to win multiple majors on clay. That I was wrong about, and I think everyone was wrong about that. You know, we expect him to win multiple French Open titles. I believe he will um, in due time. But yeah, for him to actually get the first one on hard courts at the U.S. Open. I mean, just when he looks back on his career, that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. And look, we, you know, I don't want to uh, force Westoff to do this, so I'm not going to make a note to find the edit. But if you go back and listen to our preview pod for the year, and I'm pretty sure you were on the pod with me, Maddie. I said this was going to be a year we see a new Grand Slam champion on the men's side. Now, much like you, I thought it was going to be team at the French. And much like all of us, I did not expect a global pandemic to rob us of five and a half months and turn right. tennis into whatever it's going to be for the rest of the year. But why I say no asterisk and we can move on after this, is just simply because this felt inevitable. 
eventually the big three was going to lose. And again, I've said this before, had team beaten Nadal and and Djokovic at the Australian Open, that would have felt like a coronation for him after the year-end finals. It just would have made sense. Had Daniil Medvedev beaten Nadal in the U.S. Open final last year after the summer he had had, that would have made sense. And yeah. I think as a tennis community, we would have just been able to digest it a little bit easier. But it's never pretty, this sport. It's never going to do that for you. It's never just going to unfold the way you want it to. If it did, we would have hit that 8-1 to one bet on Zverev. And Zverev would be a Grand Slam champion, and I'd be doing this podcast naked. But that's <laughs> not what's happening right now, obviously. And so I just think it's stupid. Like, you're not going to put an asterisk next to this event, event the same way you wouldn't next to any event when an injury happens or whatever, because it always happens. Right. And here's the bottom line, man. And I said this before. Dominic Team won seven, three out of five set matches at the U.S. Open. That's it. That's all that needs to be said. He played who was in front of him. He won the matches. He earned the trophy. That's it. Now, yes, to me, I, again, remembering, hey, you know, 10 years from now, Matt, what was up with the 2020 U.S. Open? I'm always going to remember this tournament as something different. No crowd, right? COVID-19, everything going on. Weird, weird stuff. Djokovic getting defaulted. I mean, no Rafa, no Roger. It, it was definitely a different tournament. But Dominic Team did what he had to do, man. That's all that he can worry about is himself, play who's in front of him, win seven straight matches, and that's exactly what he did here in the trophy. I I completely agree with you. And, you know, you talk about his quality of play. Obviously, it was better in the quarterfinals, semifinals than it was in the finals. Yep. But, Maddie, we were all wondering what were these players going to look like after a five-and-a-half-month hiatus. We saw some of them compete in exhibitions during that layoff, and certainly some of those players, the Jennifer Brady's, the Jess Pagula's, uh, they had an inherent advantage coming into this. Curious what you thought about the quality of play in general, though. The fact that it was Osaka and team winning two of the top seeds, is that indicative of maybe just if you were, you know, I guess, again, just in general, what did you think of the quality of the tennis we were treated to? I, I thought it was really good. I was very, very happy with the quality of tennis, man. I, I, I just was. I think both on the men's and women's inside there were a ton of great competitive matches it wasn't like everybody was rusty I mean remember the Denis Shapovalov matches against Fritz and against Golfan and Kareno Boost I mean there were so many matches that we could point to where we're like whoa that was an awesome match now the final especially on the men's side didn't go that way I think both guys were playing better tennis leading up to that final and they were nervous you know it was very tight um you know for obvious reasons and that's okay but overall throughout the entire two weeks on both the men's and women's side I thought it was fantastic quality I really did I, I enjoyed yeah. all of it for the men, and Daniil Medvedev, I think, commented on this as he was going into his semifinal match, but the sheer amount of five-set matches we saw and the sheer quality we saw through those matches, although some of them, I guess, less quality, but just the competitive spirit, you know, yeah. you look at that Schwartzman-Nori fifth set, wasn't the cleanest tennis, but it was really enjoyable to watch. Same deal, Nishioka-Murray day one wasn't the cleanest tennis, but it was fun to watch. Four really good sets between a guy like Courtney Mute and Dan Evans, and just, yeah, you go on and on throughout the list. I thought 
we saw a really high level of tennis, that we saw players like Philip Krajinovic and Milos Raonic make runs at the Western Southern, that we saw, again, players like Jess Pegula, Shelby Rogers goes on the runs that they did. I mean, Elise Mertens was playing so well, and at Conteve playing so well. Obviously, Victoria Azarenka coming out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, the... The intrigue of the how many unknowns there were heading into this, that was always going to be half of the fun, but these players delivered, and it's a testament to their professionalism. It's a testament to the fact that given the physical demands of the modern game, you have to be, right? Yeah, you have to stay in shape. You have to just, even when you're not playing matches, you have to stay dig uh you have to stay diligent about your training and that's exactly what we saw here so I was very impressed with the quality of play in terms of specific performers Maddie and we talked about a lot of the first week performers in our week one recap so you know we don't have to go through all of them there were players I believe you know people like uh we talked about Dennis Shapovalov at the time we talked about uh people like Davidovich Fokina who made a big run we talked about uh players on the women's side like Annette Conteve, Jen Brady, Jess Pagula. So, you know, you don't have to repeat any names, but feel free to as well. In terms of this summer hardcore stretch, who were the players that impressed you the most on both the men's and women's side? Let's start Let's start with the women. Okay, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think we have to start with Jen Brady. I mean, she just, overall, throughout the entire summer was just tremendous. I mean, in fantastic shape. She's elevated her game, really in every facet. I mean, her serve, her ground strokes, every part of her game has just gone to another level. I really, really enjoyed watching her over the past few weeks. Um, and I look for her, you know, to continue that form, obviously. She has a ton of good years left in front of her. How about Shelby Rogers making a run to the quarters. I mean, I, I definitely didn't expect to see that out of her. Um, so, I mean, that was a lot of fun. How about Perankova, man? I know I mentioned her the last time we did our week one recap, but to be off for three years, come back, play the U.S. Open, and make a run into the quarters, to me... That was just tremendous. I mean, for her, I, I she's never going to forget that run. That was really something special. Azarenka to really, I mean, to win the Western and Southern and then go all the way to the final of the U.S. Open, that's also tremendous. I mean, there's so many that I could name, but uh, I mean, those are some of the big ones for me that really stood out. They made deep runs in the U.S. Open and, um, you know, probably secured a lot of confidence going forward. No, absolutely. And look, we've raved enough about Naomi Osaka. So everything we said yeah, from minutes she's obvious. What, eight, eight, yeah, eight to 15, just repeat here. Right. Um, obviously, Victoria Azarenka, who now finds herself back at number 14 in the world. That's crazy, considering yeah. how little tennis she had played these past two years, how much she had struggled when she had played as well. Uh, she was outstanding. I mean, you know, her only loss was a three set loss to a player we're saying right now is the best hardcore player in the women's game. Uh, the fact that Vika was able to flip the script on Serena the way she did, how just carefree she seemed to be and just loose, carefree in a good way, not reckless, but just so loose out on court. She was, you know, the antithesis, another big word for you, even though antithesis is not a big word, sorry. Hey, great shot to me, but the antithesis of Alex Zverev was probably Victoria Azarenka, right? If you could put Vika's personality in Alex Zverev, he wins that final in straight sets, probably two, two, and two. Um, And so she was just so impressive. She deserves all of the credit in the world. It was a really sour ending, but same deal goes for Elise Mertens because Elise Mertens was outstanding. Semifinals at Cincy, quarterfinals uh, at the U.S. Open. Obviously, she 
got blitzed by Victoria Azarenka in that quarterfinal, but that had more to do with Azarenka. Uh, Mertens is someone who's number 12 in the world's her career high. She's right now at 19. She's a dangerous floater for whomever she draws at the French Open. I really do think she's someone who's making that push into the top 10. I think she can do so many different things so well. I think she's got a ton of confidence as well, made that final in Prague uh, on the clay prior to heading to New York. I thought she was outstanding. I mean, again, you mentioned Jennifer Brady. I would throw another uh, piece of love at both Shelby Rogers and Jess Pegula, who just continue to show off how much depth and talent there is right now in American women's tennis. It is in my opinion, as strong as it has been since really the early nine, early to mid-90s when there was just so many talented players. And so, uh, again, it's a really fun time to be American, an American tennis fan. Uh, with that in mind, let's flip to the men's side. Who were the players who impressed you the most? Well, I, I think we got to start with PCB, man. Carreno Busta. And I know, look. Yeah, he, you know me. Here's the thing. He... He got lucky with the whole the the whole Djokovic thing, and that's fine. But even take that match out of the equation. Carreno Busta was two sets to one down in his first round match, Gruskin. I know you know this, but then he comes back and wins the fourth and fifth sets. And this guy just played really good tennis throughout. And, and he was beating Djokovic in that match. Remember, he was up a break 6-5 in the first set when Djokovic got defaulted. So we can't take anything away from him there. To come back and beat Denis Shapovalov in the, in the manner that he did, for me, that was by far one of the matches at the tournament. PCB against Shapovalov there in the quarters was tremendous. Um, and then obviously he was up two sets to none on Zverev in the semis. He could have easily won that match as well and gone to the final. So that's a guy for me. And I know you had way more confidence in him than I did, Gruskin. But I just, I didn't even, he was an afterthought in, in, in my opinion. I thought, yeah, maybe he makes the third round, whatever, you know, wins a couple matches and, and it's going to be done. That is all that I had Carreno Busta down for. So for him to go to the semis, even with the whole Djokovic thing, I'm not, I don't even care about that so much. Tremendous, tremendous effort by him. How about Borna Chorich, right? This is guy that's well, been quickly injured. On, quickly, uh, quickly on the PCB thing. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. This is so rude of me. Um, but there again, because you were on that pod with me. When I said, oh, PCB, you look at his hard court results the past five years. He's a sleeper. He's a guy you could see making a deep run. I didn't mean this sort of run. And yeah, you're right. He was absolutely the beneficiary of a once-in-a-generation type event at a slam. But... Uh, credit even to outside him for of beating Shapovalov the way he did. Yeah, credit for him for put being putting himself in a position where he really could have taken that match against Alex Zverev. Yes. And for him, it's his second Grand Slam semifinal. You do it once, you can consider it lucky. You do it twice, even when an extraordinary event happens. Clearly, you are a you are one of the significant players of the past five years in tennis. And so, shout out to PCB. Yeah, you know me. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I also agree with your Borna Chorch take. Yeah, for sure. I mean, George, look, this is a guy that's been injured. You know, we, we I don't want to say we wrote him off, but our, I feel like our confidence level in him just went uh-huh. down a little bit. Um, and, and that's fair. We just hadn't seen that much from him. His results weren't quite there. But that match against Stefano Tsitsipas, man, I mean, that is something that I'll never forget. The way that he came back in that match, followed it up with another good win, straight set easy win over Jordan Thompson to make the quarterfinals. And if he didn't play a couple of really poor tiebreakers against Zverev, 
again, maybe we'd be talking about Borna Chorich right now as a guy that was in the final or possibly winning mm -hmm. the U.S. Open. I mean, he really played that second and third set tiebreakers in that match with Zverev were bad. Um, and he won the first set 6-1. I thought, uh-oh, here we go. Could Borna Chorich make a run to the final four? So he was very impressive for me. He has a lot to build on. Another guy, how about Alex Dimonor? I mean, to make the quarters here at the mm -hmm. U.S. Open, I think that's a positive step in the right direction uh, for him. He had several good wins here, taking out Karen Hatchinov, um, you know, going to the quarters. A guy like Vasek Pospisil, he was tremendous, right? That's a guy that, again, I completely had written off. I didn't think he was going to do anything in this tournament. He beats his countryman Milos Reynic, who I had as one of the favorites entering the event. And then he follows that up with a win over RBA, one of the toughest guys on tour uh, to make the fourth round in the second week. I think Pospisil deserves uh, a hand clap for that one. Guys like Demonor, um, there's a lot of them, but, but those are some of the ones that really stood out to me. Yeah, no, to your point about Borna Chorich, he already beat Christian Guerin on clay as well in Rome, and yes. I wouldn't say we writ him, you know, again, go check the film. We didn't write him off yet, but we put him as, you know, I always say Brad Gilbert's just a poor man's Matt Sikoyak. We gave him the yellow card, right? right? He was on it, yellow card. Yes. He was on, it was red alert for him. It was, okay, if you don't, you know, shape things up with your results, we're going to have to maybe write you off out of, you know, we're going to throw you in the, I don't want to say the Sasha Bubla category, but in between the Bubla category in the demon hour category if that makes sense where it's like oh, okay you're gonna be around number 30 in the world that's pretty cool um but right. yeah and then he did this this week and it was it was really impressive i agree clearly for him the matter is just getting healthy and getting confident because the skills are all there uh, i agree with what you said about demon hour i agree with what you said about pospisil i i mean yeah these are all good names but that gets us to the flip side of this conversation let's talk about the most disappointing and let's start with the men's side because i have two names that jump out to me and I'm fascinated to hear what you think let's start with Alex Zverev who at the end of week one you call him the most you know he's on your list of most impressive four set wins over Anderson over Nakashima over Manorino he yep. rocks and rolls through Davidovich Fokina we're not even going to talk about whatever happened with Chorch and uh you know in his quarterfinal and then with PCB in the semifinal but then you get to that final you're up two sets to love. That third set's in the palm of your hand. You're up 5-3, serving for the match in the fifth. You're facing someone who's cramping, essentially, in the sixth. Or in the sixth, excuse me, in the fifth set breaker. You're throwing in 68-mile-per-hour second serves in the in the uh, tiebreaker as well. I'm, I'm not disappointed because why I wanted to start with him here, I think it's anyone – there was a lot of ragging on Alex Fierov yesterday. There was a lot of, you know – talk about yeah I already did this with Jamie there's the conversation which was oh is this Grand Slam really that quality of play and then there's the conversation about the conversation which is oh why are you guys ripping on the quality of play can't you just enjoy the tennis the pageantry for what it is and now we're having the conversation about the conversation about the conversation but I just this is a breakthrough moment for Alex Firev and I don't know if it'll be good I don't know if it'll be bad but it's definitely breakthrough is the wrong word it's an inflection point because for him all of the pressure turned on him when he when Novak Djokovic exits the draw, not only is he the highest seed remaining with Tsitsipas being out, but in the players still left, Shapovalov, PCB, George, he's the guy in that scenario. And it wasn't pretty, but he managed to get through the hump. And then as the underdog, he races out to a two sets to love lead. But then the second that, you know, things got a little bit tight, so did he. And so yeah. I'm not going to say it's most disappointing because it's not, but... 
at the same time, Alex Vera t- should be sitting here today, as I mentioned, as a Grand Slam champion, and he's not, and inherently that is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. When it, For me, he's not in my category of most disappointing because you have to look at the tournament as a whole, right? And we're looking at the entire event. He's definitely not disappointing, man. He went all the way to the final. So for me, he's nowhere near the category of most disappointing. The word that I would use, like what I was feeling for him yesterday was more just like sadness. Like I just, I felt bad because... Look, like, I I mean, I played junior tennis. Like, I played a lot of tournaments. I know how it feels to lose matches. Obviously, not at that caliber, nowhere near that. But um, I'll never know that feeling. But it's tough, man. When you have it on your racket like that, it happens, man. Like, it does. That's tennis. And I'm sure he's not going to be able to sleep for a few days. I mean, I know that I wouldn't. When you're that close to the trophy, like... I mean, he just has to be distraught. There's no other way to put it. And I I feel bad. I really do. Because he came out in the first couple sets and was really playing much better tennis. Dominic Team was the one who was on his heels. He looked tight. He looked nervous. And Zverev was playing very well in those first couple of sets. He was aggressive coming into the net. I mean, who knew that Zverev could all of a sudden play pretty good at the net? I mean, he was hitting good volleys and everything. So, overall... Fantastic tournament. He made the finals of the U.S. Open. That's awesome. Yeah, the final is 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 major. I mean, again, disappointment. I don't know if that's the word. For me, I just feel bad for him. I, I'm saddened by it for him because, again, mentally, he's. we know that he is not really the toughest guy out there mentally. So how is he going to recover? I mean, we'll find out soon enough. Um but overall, if you're asking me who my most disappointing performers were in the in the tournament, I'm not putting him anywhere near that category. Not for me. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you could see the disappointment in his face in that acceptance speech of the finals trophy. He knew he had it. He knew how much yeah. this meant to him. And yeah, we'll absolutely see how he rebounds from this moment. But I agree. I just don't think it's fair to say this is a disappointing. I mean, it's a disappointing moment, but he's not one of the most disappointing players. I only have one guy on this list, and I apologize to our Cracked Rackets fans. I said this to Jamie McDonald on the mini break. He laughed at it, and you know how hard it is to get Jamie to laugh, right, Stokoyak? So I knew I had a good joke in it, so I'm going to use it again here. Uh, We'll see what you do. Um, But the only player who comes out of this, in my opinion, on the men's side particularly disappointed, other than Novak Djokovic, which it doesn't even count. Right, that goes without saying. Because, yeah, that's its own category. But, and they're lifelong friends. They're both from the same country. They're certainly going to be hanging out at multiple occasions, whether it's that exhibition they're paid 25K to go show up at when they're 50 years old, whatever it may be. But they're going to be enjoying themselves at Molson Light someday around, you know, the ice fishing circle. And Milos Raonic is going to look at Vashik Pospisil and he's going to be like, dude, <laughs> like that was my chance to win a major. And you screwed me. Like you, you screwed me. I'm beating team. I'm beating all these guys on the quickness of this court with no Djokovic. He's like, I'm winning a grand slam. And because you freaking servant volleyed me and slapped forehands, I missed my opportunity. And for me... And 
it's because of how good he looked at Cincy, you know, at the Western Southern, that he made the final looking so comfortable, holding serve with such ease, and then to lose to Pospisil the way he did, to not even get a shot at Medvedev or team or any of those upper-tier guys. Yeah. No disrespect to Vashik Pospisil, who played a great match, but, like, you know, Dominic Team is the first guy of the 1990s to win a Grand Slam, and if you're Milos Raonic now, you almost are like, oh, my God, did my window just close on me? Was this my chance? And the answer is yes. This was your chance. The gods sent you a Djokovic default. They sent you no Federer, no Nadal. It, they sent you good form coming into the event. And yeah. like he's just like, man, screw you, Vashik. Yeah, I, I like that call, man. I mean, he was at the—Ranich was at the top of my list for most disappointing. There's no question about it. Number one on the list— I had him in the final four. Um, I mean, yeah, I thought he was going to make a serious run. So for for me, very, very disappointing, you know, for him, for all the reasons that you just mentioned. I had a couple other guys on my list as well. Stefano Tsitsipas had a great opportunity mm-hmm. here as well. Again, you look at him. He was probably entering the event, what, a top three or four favorite to win the whole thing behind Djokovic, Medvedev. You know, he was right there, right after that. In that Number next. three on DraftKings. There you go. Number three on DraftKings. That's it. So that's a big disappointment, especially the way that he went mm-hmm. out, man. The way mm-hmm. that he went out in that match to Torch, that, again, that could haunt him for a while. Talk about mm-hmm. Zvera being haunted by, by the final well, Sitsipas probably didn't sleep too good after that match either uh, when he played Chorich and, and went out after having six match points and all of that crap that we talked about. So that's he, he was also up there on my list. A guy like Berrettini, I, for me, I, I always just look at him because I'm, I'm such a fan of his. I, I like him so much. <laughs> and the way that he just played against Ruba, I was just disappointed because he didn't play. He had been playing good up until that point. He hadn't dropped serve entering the Rublev match. He didn't lose a set or anything. And then all of a sudden, he even won the first set in that Rublev match. And he was looking pretty good. And then he just lost his game. His serve went down the tank. His groundies weren't the same anymore. You could just tell he lost confidence. And I was like, no, man. Like, if you're going to lose to Rublev, let him, like, lose... Lose swinging. Right. Lose swinging. Lose swinging. Yeah. Like, play your game, man. But when, I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. making for a certain. That was just for me, that was tough um, to watch. So, those were a couple other guys that were on my list there as well. But I think Milos is, is definitely at the top for sure. There, I mean, if, yeah. if we we're going to talk about one guy, he's got to be the biggest disappointment. And again, we could go to a guy like Hubi. Like for me, I had Hubi penciled yeah. in, you know, into the fourth round. Um, you know, I thought Hubi was going to make a run. When I saw his draw, I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity for Hubi to make a run here. And then, you know, to go out in the second round, Davidovich Fokina. I mean, we think of him as more of a clay quarter young guy. That to me was just... I was disappointed because I, I finally thought, okay, Hubie, like this is a tournament where the draw has kind of fallen your way. And then, you know, to go out like that in the second round for me, that was also pretty disappointing. Yeah, no, it always comes back to Hubi, who, as I mentioned, knocked off Dan Evans today after a disappointing loss for him last week on the clay. That was a big uh, win for him. And yeah, I got to see in the majors, though. Come there. on, Hubie. When it comes to the majors, no. let's step it up. Hey, as we say in my culture, Dianu, my friend, I agree with you. But yeah, I mean, you look at 
you know, some of the names you mentioned, by the way, Shapovalov, Rublev, I think they've now put themselves in a tier of, hey, we have the talent to win Grand Slams. I wasn't sure about them before they belonged in the most impressive category right alongside of Demonauer. And honestly, Davidovich Fokina probably belongs in that conversation as well. Uh, Those are the list of disappointing for the men. Now, I'm going to be honest. On the women's side, we talked about a lot of them last week. I think for Donna Vekic, the way she lost her match to Parankova, that was so disappointing. I think... You know, the big one, Carolina Pliskova, to lose, not to Garcia, but just the way she played in New York, that was obviously disappointing. But I'm not that disappointed. You know, I'm very happy with the way the women's draw played out simply because I think so many players played exceptional tennis, and we talked about parity being a factor. And it was just really gratifying to see that parity manifest itself, and not in sloppy tennis, but in, you know, someone like us, Fatana Parankova, playing as well as she did and, you know, really taking it to uh, so many different opponents. Opponents. And I just, I didn't have too many disappointing. In fact, I, you know, the only disappointing part is that anyone would put an asterisk next to such an outstanding uh, three weeks of tennis. But for you, any disappointing standouts on the women's side? Maybe Sabalenka, but she lost to the finalist in Azarenka. So I can't even throw that there. Right. And that's what, you know, for me, I always look to Sabalenka because she's one of my favorites. I think she just has so much talent. Her power is ridiculous. And so I'm always, no matter what draw it is, I'm always going to take a look at where she's at. And yeah, I mean, disappointing, but I mean, when you really look at it, put it in perspective, everyone was losing to Vika. So it's really not that bad of a loss that just happened earlier. Like, I wish they would have played like in the quarters, you know, instead. Um, That would have been a little bit better for me, and I wouldn't have put Sabalenka in that disappointing category. Someone like Joe Conta, who I thought was in really good form coming into the Open, could have possibly made a deep run. Um, Her performance was a little bit disappointing for me, but the match that really sticks out for me, is the Kenan Mack, Kenan Mertens. And I know you really like Mertens, uh, Gruskin. And and I, I do too. I mean, I'm not completely sold on her like as a true contender to win a bunch of slams. We've already talked about so many other players that I would put ahead of Mertens in that category. She's a dangerous player. She's somebody that you don't want to see, you know, in your section of the draw. But Kenan had just played Anz Jabor and look pretty good in that match. I mean, Jabor is a tough player, big serve, going to junk you a little bit, drop shots, slices. Kenan got through that match pretty comfortably, and I was like, okay, she's gotten through a tough stretch here in the first few rounds. Kenan's going to make a serious run and could even win this thing. And then that match, she just came out flat against Mertens. That was not the Kenan that we were used to seeing, and it was a late match. They went on late. It was like a 9.30 or 10 p.m. start. I remember it. And, and she just didn't look the same. Something was missing there in that match. And Mertens played great, right? Take nothing away from her. But for me, Kennan was somebody that I thought could go all the way and really possibly hold up the trophy at the end. That performance was just disappointing to me because that's not the Kennan that we know. She just made way too many errors I just, that specific performance was disappointing for me. And I know Mertens played great, but Kennan really should, when Kennan's playing her best, she's going to win that match really almost all of the time. And clearly uh, she had a a poor performance there and it, it cost her. Yeah, my only counter to that would be against Vic Meyer, Fernandez, Jabour. She had to bring her A game in all three. And, like, over the course of seven matches, you're going to have a game where you have. She was looking good, though, in those first few matches. 
I, I, I yeah, thought... no, but I'm, but I, but you're always going to have a B minus for Vika. You know that B minus happened probably in what the first set against Mukova, or maybe you know early on against Serena. Though a lot of that had to do with Serena. But you're yeah. always going to for for uh, for Osaka it came against Katsuyuk, right? Where or against Masaki Doi in that right. first match, and you know she they just got away with it. You just can't get away with it when you're playing in Elise Mertens. But I do understand what you're saying. It was a very winnable match. It was winnable, and she just she didn't make any adjustments either, really. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she accepted, like she was out there and said, you know what, I don't have my A game today. Well, screw it. I guess I'm out, mm-hmm. right? And and that, I just, I would have liked, because she normally, she's a fighter, man. She digs in, and that that was just, something was a little off with her that day. And, and it happens, right? It's tennis. Everyone has an off day, but you try to build up to it in the slams where you get through your first few rounds. You know, a lot of players like Osaka, for example, struggled a little bit early, but really cranked her game up as she got into the fourth round, the quarters, the semis, she got better. And I think Kennan played her best tennis early on and then got a little bit worse. That's for me, that's just what was disappointing. Because I, I just know how talented she is. Obviously, she can win slams. She's that good. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, then, with that in mind, give me your three favorite matches of the event. Ooh, I mean, the ones that immediately come to mind that I'll probably never forget. Obviously, Sitsipas Chorich, right? That, to me, was the match <laughs> of the tournament. I, You know, you could ask me about that five years from now, and I'm going to be like, Wow, talk about a, a a ridiculous match. I mean, we may not Result, see something yeah. quite like that for, for several years, Groskin. I mean, really, like to, mm-hmm. for it to go down that in that manner, we may not see something quite like that for a little while. So that was a big one for me. Um, obviously, Denis Shapovalov, almost all of his matches were were really super interesting, and I enjoyed them all, specifically against Fritz and then against PCB. I thought those two matches, both five setters, obviously, were awesome. But he also played against Gofan. He played against Korda in the first round. That match against Kwan in the second round. Denis Shapovalov, I mean, every single one of his matches, I thought, were super interesting. Um, on the women's side, I think I look at the semifinal matches, right? Osaka-Brady, mm-hmm. whoa. I mean, that was tremendous stuff. Two players that were at the top of their games, that was awesome. And then obviously Vika and Serena, Serena came out and I was like, oh wow. I mean, she Serena played her best set. That first set, she was on something different, man. She hadn't looked like that all tournament. I said, okay, well, I guess Serena could probably win the U.S. Open this year. After that first set against Vika, I was like, wow, this could actually happen. But then, I mean, credit to Vika. I mean, she came back and and stuck to her game plan and just kind of wore Serena down, you know, physically throughout the course of that match. So those two on the women's side really stick out to me more than anything. And then kind of another one earlier in the tournament, you mentioned the uh, Azarenka-Karolina Mukova match. That was a crazy match as well. A a long three-setter that really went the distance. Both of those players were playing really tremendous tennis, and that one came right down to the end. So that one also sticks out to me as, as a match that I'll remember from this event. Yeah, you nailed it. The two semi, just that semifinal night that uh, for the women, yes. I think that was what Thursday night. One hundred percent. That might have been my favorite night of action, like without question. Serena Vika, and then to have Osaka Brady as well. It was just exceptional tennis all the way around. The dramatic sort of three set finishes you want to see yeah. in that stage of an event. 
On the men's side, you know, I'm biased. Murray Nishioka, that was so fun for so many different reasons. That Murray managed to pull out that match was just, it's a forgotten storyline, of course, but it was delightful. I mean, I loved the final because I've just been so desperate for someone new to break through and to see these two players struggle in that moment. It's just a reminder of how hard it actually is to win a Grand Slam. And so uh, for me, I know that's very cliche, and we talked about our favorite first week matches already on the last pod. So those would probably be my three from the second week that take the cake. But, you know, there's a lot of outstanding tennis. You can go all the way back. RBA Medvedev, RBA Hatchinov at Western and Southern. Those were all fun matches. Um you know, Djokovic RBA was exceptional as well. You can go on and on and on. A lot of really fun tennis on these hard courts and all of it, Maddie, without fans. And so really, that's my last question to you in terms of this U.S. Open. Uh, you look at it without fans and just, uh, you know, what the role that played. Obviously, all of us know and believe and understand and empathize with the fact of a lot of synonyms there, apologies, but that tennis is a healthier place with fans, that so many of these lower level events need fans in the crowd for them to obviously take place for these events to be financially feasible. Um, and yet, you know, again, I think the crowd, did, uh, ESPN did a, a fantastic job with their production. Obviously, a huge shout out to the USTA for all the work they did and even making this event happen. Um, I kind of liked, though, the intimacy of being able to hear everything the players are saying, getting, being able to hear the squeaking of the feet even more so than usual, being able to just feel the tension, and you wonder how a crowd would have responded to Osaka being down a set, or Zvira being down, or up two sets to love, or just all of these different moments. Of course, you miss the crowd, right? but I didn't hate it with no fans, Maddie. Curious what you think. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat, man. Honestly, it was a unique perspective. It was different. And of course, we want the crowd there. Don't get me wrong. If I have the choice with the crowd or without a crowd, I'm going to take the fans every time. But it didn't detract. The fact that there were no fans did not detract from my enjoyment of this event whatsoever. We already talked about the quality. It was super high quality tennis throughout the entire event. Um, and yeah, it's a different perspective. You can hear the players talking to their boxes. You know, the squeaking of the shoes, it's just a little bit different. But for me, it really didn't affect anything. Um, you know, visually watching it on, on TV or streaming it. Um, I'm dialed into the tennis at all times anyway, really. I, I really am. If there's a crowd there or not, I'm so focused on the tennis that sometimes you even forget about the crowd if they're there unless it's some unbelievable match where they're going nuts you know night match at the U.S. Open would be an example but no for me definitely I was just grateful to have the event USTA phenomenal job ESPN everybody involved it brought me a lot of joy you know and that's the most important thing I loved watching it fans no fans um I, I still watched as much as I would any other year made no difference to me yeah, and look, it's not feasible to have the players be traveling and watching all these matches, watching their fellow competitors play when there are fans crowding the stadium, but it was awesome to just see all these players sticking around, watching their fellow players compete, and it was a really cool event. I completely agree yeah. with you. So much credit to the USTA for getting the job done. Would I have liked a little bit more transparency? Of course. I think we always want more transparency in everything, but you know, credit to them for pulling this off. They absolutely, it was a miracle work to bring in you know 256 singles players alone and have them from so many different countries and just to put in a testing procedure and execute it, they deserve so much credit. So I completely agree with you with that in mind. And we're going to be brief here because, again, we're going to be focusing on the action in Rome on the mini break podcast. All of you listeners can go check out our thoughts there. 
Of course, serious French Open preview content will kick off next week. Crazy to think that it's only next week, but it really already is next week. But, Maddie, storylines heading into the clay. I'm going to ask it like this. I'm going to have you do the men's. I will do the women's. Give me one contender, one next-gen player, and one dark horse person you think players should watch in this build-up to the uh, French Open. Well, I mean, the contender, obviously, like, I'm, I'm excited to see Rafa. I, I really am because we know that this is his playground. He loves the dirt. Um, and he's obviously, for me, even with Dominic team in the draw, Rafa is still going to be the guy um, going into the French. So I look for him as, as a major contender. Um, next gen player that could make some noise. It's, it's tough because... This is such a different surface. Like we're going from hard to clay and we wouldn't usually do this at that time of year. Um, next gen player. I mean, I. The, what about the rude man? Casper Rude. Yeah. I mean, I would like to see him make a quarterfinal at one of these. You know, I don't know if he's playing next week in Hamburg, but I would like to see him after he knocked off Karen Hatchinoff today. I would like to see him in a round of 16 quarterfinal at one of these Masters because I think, and he's right in the seeding range for this event, I think he's a guy we could absolutely see in the second week of the French. Yeah. I guess, and and the other guy that I would have mentioned, right, Christian Guerin, who lost today to Borna George, that kind of defeats that argument there a little bit. That probably would have been my guy that I would have said, let's let's see if he makes, you know, the second week at the French. I bet there's a good opportunity because, again, that's where he makes his money. Christian Guerin, he's a total mm-hmm. clay quarter, um, you know, struggles, you know, on the other surfaces, but this should be his time of year. He's won multiple titles on the clay, so I think if anybody could make a run, I, I would pick probably Christian Guerin. Casper Rude's not a bad choice there, um, but again, the way that Borna Chorich took out Garen today, I mean, I just don't know, man. I mean, there's so many unknowns. It's tough to say. I mean, I think guys like Denis Shapovalov, who were so good on the hard courts, I think he could struggle a little bit with the transition to clay. I don't know if I really like Daniil Medvedev as much on the clay as I do on the hard courts. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I, I I don't know, man. Yeah, Rude, Garen, those are some guys that I'd probably be looking at, but I just don't know if my confidence level is going to be there to say that they're going to make the quarters. I I, I couldn't go that far. Definitely not. No, I mean, I don't at think best, quarters... round of 16, second week maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Round of 16 there, a dark horse, I would say, Tennis Sandgren, who might honestly be better on the clay uh, than he is on hard courts. And, you know, I noticed on DraftKings he was plus 106 uh, against Popperin, and I hit that so quickly. I was like, are you kidding me? On clay, you're going to have Popperin over Sandgren? You guys, your formula screwed this one up. And so, obviously, Sandgren able to get the win there. I think he's a dark horse. But, yeah, it's it's wide open. So, that's why, you know, it's kind of ref- it's helpful for us that we get Rome so quickly that we're going to see what these players look like on clay, although, of course, there are going to be some fluky results. Here are my picks for you on the women's side. I'll go through them quickly. In terms of a favorite, Maddie, I think Simona Halep's the unequivocal favorite. No Ashley Barty at the French. She's the defending champion, but Simona Halep, she's won a French Open title. She won a title in Prague before everyone headed to New York in August. She's the number one seed here this week. She's going to have to go through some tricky opponents just to get to the, you know, semifinals. If she gets to the semifinals are better. She legitimizes herself, in my opinion, as the player to beat at this French Open. That would be my 
contender, my dark horse, who I think is just someone sleeping dangerous in the draw who you're not thinking of, or, or you know, next gener, excuse me, um, would be Marketa Vondrusova, who was the finalist last year at the French Open. She hasn't looked that great in 2020. Injuries have been a big part in that story, but really interested to see how the defending finalist reacquaints herself to the surface. In terms of a dark horse, I mean, I'm not going to stick with Marie Buzkova because I've just been sticking with her too uh, long. But I will just point out Patricia Teague, who won the title last week in Istanbul over Jeannie Bouchard, 26 years old, now at a career high of number 58. Uh, the only reason her career high is not is 58 and not higher is because I believe she's taken the last two years off from tennis to start a family, to you know find a life away from the sport. And Maddie, you look at what she's done since she came back to the sport in 2019. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of success she has had. She comes back in 2019, and here's the result. I mean, you you talk about at the ITF level, she made, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, Five, six, seven ITF level finals since the start, since May of 2019. Obviously, she's now won her first WTA international event. She is a dark horse candidate for me who is not ranked uh, as high as her talent level reflects. Interesting picks there. I mean, and again, there's so much unknown. It's it's hard to say. You know, it's hard for me to you know sit here and argue with you on those picks. Halep obviously is a great clay court player, and a lot of these other you know women that we talk about are just simply better on other surfaces. You know, if you look at a Pliskova or an Osaka or a Serena, um, you know, players like that, um, even like a Petra Kvitova, and those types of players are just going to simply be better on a hard court or even a grass court. So Halep, I, I like the pick there. Um, I mean, there's there's going to be other contenders, I think, that could easily take her out um, in the right situation. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's not a bad pick. Vondrasova, yeah. I mean, again, I just, I don't know. Finalist last year, was that kind of fluky? I mean, can she really repeat that? I, I wouldn't bet on it personally. I don't know. Could she make a run to the second week? Yeah, probably. Um, but, but it's, it's tough to say, man, it's going to be an interesting draw. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. And of course, again, for all of you listeners who want to stay up to date on all of the action going on in Rome, be sure to listen to our mini break podcast throughout these next, uh, throughout the next week. Of course, like rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the mini break crack interviews and inside out podcast. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. Jamie McDonald and I coming together to give our thoughts on the men's and women's draw respectively, little 12 minute videos. You guys can enjoy, see our smiling faces as well. And of course, for all of our content, be sure to just go to our website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, we're at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westa, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, making all of this possible. Of course, we're going to quickly flip things around. We've got a Cracked Rackets tournament this weekend. We're hosting an Indy. Uh, we've got Rome this week. We've got Hamburg and other stuff next week. And then, again, Two Mondays from now will be day two of the 2020 French Open. And of course, we will be hearing from you, Maddie, before that moment. But any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? I don't think so, man. It was a great two weeks. We got through it. 
um, looking forward. To, I mean, it's. I'm glad we have a pretty quick turnaround here. Obviously, Rome is such a big event, and then the French coming up. So, a um, lot of good stuff ahead. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing another uh, draw preview where I can make some terrible picks. Uh, picks Zverev to lose again in the first round, and who knows? Maybe he'll make the <laughs> final of the French. I think I found out what I need to do there is just pick against him every time, um, and then he'll end up making the runs. So, I'm perfectly fine with doing that if that's what it takes. We'll see. All right. I left my phone in the garage for the entire sphere of Karina Busta sets three, four, and five because it was working. So I completely agree with you. Superstitions are a thing. My last two questions for you. A, and I think I've thrown this at you before, but I watched a lot of him as he made the final this week at the ATP Tour. Yannick Hanifman, Hubi Hercats. Very comparable games in my opinion. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's quickly, fair, quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, so. about the same size. I like that. Very yeah, that's that's actually a great comparison. I just think Hubi, I mean, overall Hubi is at a higher level. A little right more now. pop. A little more pop. I think he's got a, a bit of a higher upside. But in terms of just a direct comparison yeah. of their games, I think that's totally fair, man. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I like that call. I will I will take it. Well, then, my last question for you before we wrap our thoughts on this hardcore summer, clearly the most important question I will have asked you throughout this podcast. Had Alex Vera won the U.S. Open final, would you have said no to coming on the show today? Would you have just been like, I can't handle you right now, Gruskin? No, absolutely not. I would have loved to have come on the show because I would have loved, look, you know how much I want to see him do well. I've talked about this numerous times. I would have loved to have come on the show today and talked about Zverev winning his first major, I really would have. Probably I would have enjoyed that even a little bit more than talking about team winning his first major, to be honest. Um, but, you know, again, I, the whole thing with me and Zverev is he's got to show me. I need some confidence in order for me to uh, to pick him. And he definitely made a, a very solid step in the right direction this tournament. Unfortunate, uh, you know, final there. But um, I think good things overall are coming for him. No, I think that's fair. And again, so much tennis left, right, in this 2020 season. So for Zverev, for all of these players, still time to right the shift, change the narrative. And of course, we are going to be talking about all of that here on these podcasts. But one last time, again, a huge shout out and thank you to our friends at DraftKings. Go to dkng.co slash cracked open. Follow along with us as we make our picks for ace of the day. Uh, but with all of that being said, for my wonderful co-host, Matt the Cracks Dekoyak, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maddie, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.